I'd like to welcome you if you're new or if you're watching online for the first time this morning. Um, that is the case, and you don't know me. My name is Dylan, and I'm not usually up here doing this part. So if it's that bad, just wait until next week, and Travis will be back, and we'll be back to normal. Um, so I got to say, there's nothing that makes you look forward more to Jesus coming back than when you have to speak in front of people the next day. <laughs> but I guess he's not coming back yet, so... He could. Just, just pray for that while we're sitting here. Uh, yeah, so my name is Dylan. Uh, I generally help lead worship and do a few other things around here, uh, but not this always. So um, I'm excited to be up here with you this morning and continuing our Summer Jam series. And as part of that, we're reading through the story of David and Goliath this morning. Um, we love the story of David and Goliath. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, it's something that you've probably been familiar with since you were a child. We use it to describe movies. We use it to describe an upset in a big sporting event. Um, and I think, I don't know if it's because we have such a tendency to root for the underdog that we love the story so much. If it's that when you were a kid, it kind of related to you because you saw this little kid take down a giant and, spoiler alert, uh, that happens. And... <laughs> you knew that anything could be possible, and so you felt that, and you related to that. But whatever the reason is that we love it so much, it's influenced our world for generations. Um, and in fact, it was actually pointing forward to the greatest battle that would ever take place in history. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And so to get started, because there's nothing that I could say that's more important than Scripture, let's start out with reading the story. Um, and it'll take us a while. It's a pretty long story. It's in First Corinthians... Uh, Sorry, First Samuel, uh, chapter 17. Um, I do reference First Corinthians, so that's probably why that was on my mind. Uh, but let's go ahead and read the story of David and Goliath. Um, I'm reading out of the CSB this morning, so if you have ESV or whatever that Travis usually reads out of, it might look a little different. But if you follow along on the screens, it should match up. So First Samuel 17. The Philistines gathered their forces for war, war at Soko in Judah and camped between Soko and Azekah, and Ephes Demim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Allah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill, with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet, and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah, named Jesse. 
Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war and their names were Eliab the firstborn, Abinadab the next, and Shammah the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also, take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah, fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now, protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand 
and chose, chose five smooth stones from the wadi, which is just like kind of a dried up brook, and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. I don't think they shared that part in Sunday school growing up. (laughs) Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord says saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. So an exciting story. We see David, who uh, had been anointed king the chapter before, um, even though he was the youngest of his eight brothers, of his seven brothers, eight children. And David goes to visit his brothers, um, obeying his father to make sure that they're all right because the Israelite army had been facing off at the Valley of Elah. And I looked up some pictures online, and it's not even as big as you might think, but there was the Philistine camp on one side of this valley and the Israelite camp on the other. And for 40-plus days, they didn't really do anything because the Philistines sent out Goliath and made a deal saying, we'll send out one guy, you send out one guy, we'll let them fight, and whoever wins... The others will be slaves for us. Which probably sounded like a pretty good deal. Saul was a pretty powerful warrior. Um, but then Goliath walks out, nine feet, nine inches tall, weighing armor that weighs 125 pounds, carrying a spear that the tip of the spear alone weighed 15 pounds. And Saul, probably their biggest fighter on the Israelite side, was like, I'm not going there. That's not a fight. I can win. And so David shows up, and he hears Goliath taunting the Israelite army, and more than that, defying God's name. And David won't stand for that. David's been watching sheep in the fields, and he's been with God. He's been praying. He's been writing psalms and trusting in God for his survival, going up against lions and bears. So who do you see yourself as in the story? 
Do you relate to anyone specifically in the story? That's often how we relate or visualize things in our mind. We kind of um, put ourselves in someone else's shoes when we read a book or uh, we watch a TV show. We kind of relate to the main character usually. And if you heard this story in Sunday school or at a youth camp, uh, you, were, you were probably told in conjunction with that that you were going to have to be strong and you were going to be courageous and that you were going to go out and you were going to slay your giant. And as a little kid, that's so invigorating. It makes you feel powerful, like you can do things for God. But I have a point to make today that maybe is new to you and maybe it's not. Um, but you really aren't David in the story of David and Goliath. We live in such a self-centered culture that pretty much everything we take in kind of revolves around us. It has to do with us. It, it has themes that make us think about ourselves or think about how we can change And that self-centeredness carries over into how we read Scripture as well. When we read Scripture, we often put ourselves in the position. But the Bible really isn't about you. Any any guesses on who the Bible is actually about? It's that Sunday school answer. Jesus. And this story is pointing to Jesus as well. David's life, his whole life, was pointing forward to Jesus the whole time. Jesus is the true and greater David that comes along. And so let's let's take a look at the similarities, the ways that David kind of points forward to Jesus. David was from Bethlehem. David was the youngest, considered the least important son out of all his brothers. He was a shepherd boy. He just watched sheep. And then when it comes to this story, he fought a battle that no one else wanted to fight. And he did that to save the people of Israel and to give God glory. And so if we turn over and look at Jesus, Jesus was born in Bethlehem as according to the prophecy. Jesus made himself a servant. He humbled himself and made himself nothing. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Jesus came and fought the battle that no one else could fight. And he did it to save all of us, to save humanity, and he also did it for his Father's glory. In fact, if there's anyone that does represent us in the story, it's actually Saul in the Israelite army. The fight was technically theirs. It belonged to them. It was their problem. But thankfully for them and thankfully for us, God sent an intercessor for both of us. Someone who stepped in and fought an impossible battle on our behalf. Jesus left his throne. He was already king. He hadn't just been anointed king. Jesus was king. He left his throne, stepped out of heaven, humbled himself again to a cross, and paid the price for our sins. One other way that we can look at how self-centered that we tend to be is by looking at the way that we think and the way that we pray. And so what, what was David's motivation for fighting Goliath? I kind of already alluded to it. It wasn't just to win the battle for Israel, but it was to bring glory to God's name. Uh, in verse 46 and 47, uh, David is saying to Goliath, Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. His biggest motivation for fighting was that Goliath was trashing God's name. And David said, you're going to stop. Our God 
is worthy. Our God is the one true God. And he takes his glory seriously. And so do I. And so likewise, Jesus' motivation, Jesus says multiple times in Scripture, was always to do the will of his Father. When he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about, my food is doing my Father's will. He went to the cross to save all of humanity, but also to glorify his Father, to obey him, to make his name famous. And so think back to some of your recent prayers. And if it's difficult to do that, then there's a whole other issue that we're not going to cover today. But that's something that we need to fix. But for today, think about the last time that you prayed for something. And something big might be better, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something big. And when you prayed that, what was the focus of that prayer? What was your focus while you were praying that? Were you focused on bettering your own circumstances? Or maybe you were focused on the circumstances of someone else, which is kind of noble. It's being a little bit selfless. But it's also still kind of thinking in this worldly mindset that's focused on here and now in this world. Uh, A few years ago when I was on staff with the Navigators, we went through uh, a study that was focused on prayer. And one part of that study looked at these prayers that are straight from Scripture. And many of the prayers were for big things. It was for, for winning battles and saving nations. And so they had that in common. Um, but there was also one other thing a lot of these had in common. The people who were praying weren't just praying for things to get better or praying for victory. They were praying that through whatever happened, God would be glorified. And so some examples you can look up. I, we have to be done by 9.15, so I'm not going to go into them today. But if you want to look them up on your own, Daniel 9 has a prayer like that. Nehemiah 1, 2 Kings 19. And then even David's prayer in uh, Psalm 51, after he was unfaithful, David prays that God would restore him. And he doesn't pray that he would restore him just to make him feel better. He prays that God would restore him so that he could serve the Lord further and that God could delight in that, that his name was being proclaimed. And so these prayers weren't for, that wasn't an afterthought. It was, God, do this so that your name would be glorified. How often do we pray for that first? I think often, for me, it feels kind of like an afterthought. It feels kind of like a cop-out. But instead, it should be our first motivation. We should be praying, God, do this thing so that your name would be proclaimed and your glory would be made greater. Because God takes his glory seriously. He will be glorified no matter what. And he allows us the opportunity to share in bringing that glory to the creator. And that's why he used a young boy to kill a giant that no one in an army dared face. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's why I'm allowed to stand up here up front. <laughs> weak and foolish. That's why Paul went on to write in 2 Corinthians 12, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So, that it, so I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think a lot of us misread that last verse sometimes. A lot of us read it as, for when I am weak, then he is strong. He's always strong. When we are weak and when we admit that, when we admit our weakness, when we realize we can't do it on our own strength, God uses his power through us, which makes us strong. He uses us to accomplish his will in those times. And it can be a hard thing to admit, though. It's not just a one-time decision. We have to consistently remind ourselves of this, that God's power and his grace are sufficient for us, that it's not on our shoulders alone that we can lean on him. But we have a tendency to do what Saul did in the story. After Saul agreed that David was allowed to go and battle Goliath, Saul didn't really trust that what David was saying was fully true, that God would win the battle through him. Saul tried to add his own armor to David for success in the battle. He's like, okay, you can go, but make sure you, we got to make you look stronger. we got to make you look bigger. And we, how often do we try to add our own effort to the work of Jesus? There's nothing that we have to offer. There's nothing that we can add. David knew God would win the battle. And the sacrifice of Jesus has already won our victory. A couple years ago, actually a few years ago now, I was at a, a training uh, down in Florida, and we went through Galatians as our devotionals every day for the morning. And one of the things that stuck out that is always in the back of my mind is the gospel plus anything equals false gospel. When we convince ourselves that we need to add our own effort to the standing of our salvation, that we need to add something to complement, to help the work of Jesus, we're preaching a false gospel to ourselves. The gospel plus anything from us equals false gospel. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as I share a story. Um, as I was preparing for this, I found a, a video that Louis Giglio uh, put out, and he is the pastor of Passion City Church in Georgia. And he shared about, uh, it's interesting that the Olympics are going on right now, even though it's a year late. Uh, in 2016, he was invited to share a devotional with the Olympic swimming team before they left for Rio. Uh, one of the girls who was on the Olympic swim team had been a part of their ministry and invited him to come speak. And so he he was kind of troubled on, what what do I share with this team? And he landed on sharing the baptism of Jesus. And so he recounted the story to them and how Jesus was baptized. And as he was lifted out of the water, God's voice came out of heaven and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But this was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He hadn't even done anything yet. God loved him, and God was pleased with him. And so he shared with the Olympic swim team, he's like, I know your coaches have told you things to think about when you're up there about to dive into the pool, but if you have a spare second, then I want you to imagine on that platform that you're standing on that it says your name, and then it says accepted. And when you go to swim, 
swim your tail off. But don't do it as if you're swimming to acceptance. Swim from a place of acceptance because you've already been accepted. You've already been saved. When we do good works, and we should do good works, we're called to it. But we can't do that from a place of trying to earn our salvation in an effort to find more favor with God. He already loves you and favors you highly. And so when we do good works, it's from a place of already being saved, not in an effort to be saved. Jesus has already won the victory. He slayed the giant of sin and death when he was on the cross. And now we no longer have to be held and taunted by that giant. And so if there's some things that I could call us to take away um, from the story today, I think a couple things would be this. I want us to trust that the victory of Jesus is enough. That he, there's no amount of effort that we can add when we do that, we're preaching a false gospel to ourselves. We can't gain more salvation. We can't gain more salvation if we already have it. If you've already asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life and your Savior, you're in. You're saved. What you do now should be from a place that you're already accepted, that you've already won. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we make God's glory a priority. When we pray and in our actions that we do, I want us to look for how he can be glorified in the midst of that situation first. Above what seems comfortable or what seems easy for us, pray first and look first for God's glory, that he would be glorified in the situation. I'm sure if David had had his way, he wouldn't have actually had to fight a giant. But he wanted God's glory to be proclaimed. And so he went and did something that was terrifying, that was hard, so that God could be glorified. And then the third thing is, let God's voice be the first and last in your life. Um, I'm committing to something for the next 40 days, and I stole this from someone, so I didn't come up with it. But I'm committing to something for 40 days of uh, reading, reading a psalm, and I'm going to go with Psalm 23. And so if... If you want to choose that one, great, choose that one. Or if you want to choose something else that you think God wants to speak into your life. But I challenge you to choose a psalm or a passage and let it be the first thing you read when you get up in the morning and the last thing you read or listen to before you go to bed at night. Let God's voice be the first and last that you hear. And so I want to challenge you and invite you to join me in committing to that for at least the next 40 days. So uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing one more song and then I'll come back up and close. Father God, we thank you for the story of David and Goliath. We thank you for the courage of David to put aside his own fears or anything that might have been there to bring glory to your name. And Lord, I pray that we would do whatever it takes to bring glory to your name. Lord, that we would we would not run in terror and hide in our tents, but we would run forward as an example so that all would know that you save and that the battle is yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just want to close with this as, as I challenge you to do that for at least 40 days. If you need a Bible, come find anyone who's been up front today because it would, 
we would love to have to buy more Bibles because <laughs> we ran out by giving them to people. Um, and sometimes it can be difficult to get into reading something over and over again and, because sometimes it's hard to relate to what the people are saying in Scripture. And when, I do, when that happens to me, uh, I learned something a few years ago from the prayer coordinator of the Navigators. Uh, his name was Vic Black, and he wrote a book called Speak, Lord, which he took a bunch of psalms, and instead of having them from the perspective of the writer, he put them in the perspective as if God was speaking them. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you're having trouble with something like reading the, those scriptures daily, to maybe try something like that. And so as we go this morning, I want to read to you Psalm 23, not from David's perspective, but as if God was speaking it over you. And so if I could have you close your eyes and just let these words of God flow over you. I, the Lord, am your shepherd. You have everything you need. I let you lie down in green pastures, and I lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. I will lead you along the right paths for the sake of my name. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have nothing to fear, for I am with you. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. I'll prepare you a table in the presence of your enemies, and I will anoint your head with oil until your cup overflows. Surely my goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in my house as long as you live. Amen. So go and seek him. We love you. We'll see you soon.